Okay, hello. This is Sister Carolyn from the Precious Blood Ministry of Reconciliation, Precious Blood Community Garden. We won the 2019 Excellence in Gardening Award, and our kids that work in the garden are just overjoyed, and it seems like it gave them a real, real boost, you know, to keep on going. Yeah, because they were recognized. It was so exciting. And you're listening to WCGO Radio, 1590 and 95.9, Chicago Smart Talk. And it's the Mike Novak Show, and it starts in 3, 2, 1. Did I catch you when you have laryngitis? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe you don't get your weather from local news. Maybe you use an app, like the one that came with your phone, uh, or Dark Sky, or or Weather Underground, or from places like the Weather Channel or AccuWeather. If you're a New Yorker, you might even get your weather from New York One's Twitter account. And if you don't, you absolutely should, because their actual forecast for the first of this month was, October got off to a warm start today, enjoy the month. It's the last good one for NYC until May, the rest are trash. (laughs) Which is excellent. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas, wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the main. You know you've got a friend of the show when he's mouthing <laughs> the uh, tagline for Bartlett Tree Experts. And they get a ding. Now... We've got dingers here this morning, but Michael, in his infinite wisdom, left home with, without his bag, Uh-oh. without like the computer and everything else in it, and of course, uh, advertising copy and you know everything. That's, ah, who needs copy? Uh, who needs that really? So we'll just we'll just roll on through because we have. Look at this guy uh, with his. His visual aids here in the studio. You can't see it. Hold some of those up, Scott. Scott Jameson from Bartlett Tree Experts. We've got the the man himself who's who got off the bicycle just to be here in yes. the studio. You just finished riding how many miles? It was four hundred and fifty miles. <laughs> it's been a few weeks ago, so I'm a little. I'm recovered. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope I'm so. Right. You, 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 you do look. Okay, yeah, it's you know, not going to collapse. But I've I've seen uh, I've, I've I've not ridden uh, in the Tour de Trees, which yeah, is what it is uh, for the Tree Fund, right? Uh, and it goes every year. 
how many consecutive years have you done this? Uh, I haven't done I, – I, this was the first time I did back-to-back, but I've done five years. I kind of was on an every-other-year rotation. Ah, started okay. in 2012 in Oregon, which was epic, amazing. But mm-hmm. this year was uh, Nashville, a big loop out of Nashville, up through Kentucky, and then back down, 450 miles. And 90-degree days yeah, every um, single day. Oh, my God. Day. The first day was 102. So, I mean, it was Woo! incredible. And then it was, it was 98 the next day, and it never got below 90, which uh, – First time uh, in the history of the Tour de Trees that we've had really bad heat. And that, and no matter how good shape you are, it, it starts to wear on you after a couple, three days. It's cumulative. Yeah. So well, it was, it's kind of yeah. the reason you do it in September, right? It, so yeah, that, we, to and, knock back the heat. It, but it, was record, it was record heat and drought down there. The only thing that, that saved us, there was very little humidity. So it was it was nice. And how many riders were on this? We had uh, I think eighty this year, which is which, uh, we cap it at a hundred. So we mm-hmm. almost almost uh, sold it out. Wow, yep. that's fantastic. And and I've seen it because back in twenty ten, and that you were uh, on the injured yep. reserve yeah, there. Right, right. Then. Had an ankle thing. Yeah, uh, on your little cart there, and yep. and we launched it out of Chicago. And then I joined you guys uh, in Illinois, west of here. Um, you, uh, I'll tell you, Ellie, you you got to get all that stuff. Uh, Ellie's taking photographs here, but look at all this beautiful stuff that Scott brought in. Trees starting to turn. He brought color. a bouquet, uh, a bouquet of leaves. That's right. I'm going to make a bouquet out of. Oh, and, oh and a pawpaw. Yeah, very. Oh, wow. She's good. She knows her trees. That is. Awesome. Uh, or to, at my, least a pawpaw. Yeah. <laughs> She she knows her pawpaws. These are some of my favorite friends I brought, yes. Uh, yeah. And that, uh, as I said, is Scott Jamison, vice president of the Midwest Division of Bartlett Tree Experts. Uh, he covers Minneapolis, Chicago, Grand Rapids, Indianapolis, Columbus, Cincinnati, all those great cities. Cleveland city. now, too. We're in Cleveland, Cleveland yeah. Wow. Yay. Great market. Yep. We want to get in there. All right. Yeah. So yeah. if you guys listen to online, get us in the Cleveland so that we can uh, help promote Bartlett Tree Experts, which is a wonderful tree care company. And, of course, that means we're not just going to talk about riding bicycles across Kentucky and Tennessee, although that's part of it because it raises money for tree research, uh, and that's why uh, Scott and the other folks do that. So congratulations to you for for making the journey and, and sur- yeah. <laughs> surviving it. I think we raised uh, over $370,000 wow. uh, for tree research this year. So it was, it's it's their number one fundraiser. It's And it's not just writing uh, and raising money. We're also doing community mm-hmm. outreach. So along the way, we're planting trees. We're engaging the community. Uh, we had a, our last write-in back into Nashville. We uh, stopped at a Montessori school, and the kids were waiting for us, and they came running down the hill cheering us on. It was it was it was it <laughs> was so guys cool. are here. Yeah, it was like riding into the Champs Elysees in, uh, in Paris at the end of the Tour de France. Yay! Yeah, Get really your cool. pruning saws out. Okay, <laughs> it was great. All right, which means we're talking trees today. So get your questions in eight seven 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 eleven fifty six eleven or on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever Instagram. Sure. Ellie will take a look at Instagram. We'll, we'll, we'll even get to that. And uh, we're going to answer as many as we can. Fall's coming. It's fun. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Peggy. McHenry County's largest annual green living event is also one of our area's best green events. The 2019 Green Living Expo, November 2nd at McHenry County College in Crystal Lake, attracts hundreds of attendees. We know, we've been there, and it's impressed us for years. So get your business in front of this crowd as a vendor or a sponsor. And yes, green holiday gift ideas are welcome too. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. 
only a few weeks left to get to Rich's Fox Willow Pines in Woodstock and grab some rare and unique conifers before they go out of business. After 31 years, they're closing their doors at the end of this month. And plants that were 30 and 40% off are now 50% off the retail prices. This applies to container, B&B, and in-ground stock. The discount does not apply to any existing orders. Pines, spruces, firs, hemlocks, junipers, yews, and the deciduous larches, bald cypresses, and dawn redwoods are still available. Come out now to pick out your container or B&B trees. Call 815-338-7442 to schedule a time to tour the grounds to look for specimen trees. Don't miss this great opportunity to add some unique trees to your landscape projects. Go to richesfoxwillowpines.com for more information. Follow them on Facebook for updates. richesfoxwillowpines.com Know someone with a drug or alcohol problem? Get help within 24 hours. Insurance may cover everything. Stop the drug and alcohol nightmare. Call 800-296-1554. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This is uh, not old school. It's new school. I'm trying, going to have to try to follow the show on my on my phone. That's that's going to be dangerous. <laughs> um, but it's probably just as easy as using the computer because the computer is usually so slow here. Of course, it's not loading at all here, so we won't worry about that at the moment. Hey, we're very happy to have in the studio today Scott Jameson from Bartlett Tree Experts. And um, I need to uh, put this up here to let him know that um, if you get out of hand, we can control that with, 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 with voices that come out of the air. Come on, jerk. Seriously? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we'll just. You can blame so the Will County Forest Preserve District for that, too. Yeah, that's from the they, their Don't Be a Jerk series, uh, Will County. <laughs> Forest Preserve District, and uh, they're really cool videos, so I'll I'll let people know that they're there. Um, But uh, we're here to answer your tree care questions, and so I'll just go right to you, Scott, because I do have a couple of questions, and then I'm sure we we will get some uh, as the show goes on, but what did you hope to show this morning with your wide array here and variety of of tree leaves and branches. Well, you know, this this is the time of year. Obviously, trees are like shutting down and getting ready for the winter. Mm -hmm. And as I was driving over this morning, I think this is peak week. Everybody wants to know when's when's the peak day for color. I think we're heading into the peak week. But uh, it's also a good chance to see what trees are doing and those that have uh, perhaps some problems that uh, may look alarming but aren't. And so I've got a couple of things here. One of the things we're seeing right now on on silver maples especially is something called tar spot. And uh, it it looks like blobs of tar on on the leaves of these trees. And it can can be very alarming. People are like, oh, my gosh. And the reality is it's just a fungus that hits in the late in the season. And when we have... uh, uh, diseases that hit late in the season on the leaves, we don't worry about it. Why? Because the leaves are dropping off. So it's it's not a concern, although it looks really bad and ugly. Absolutely nothing to do with for this disease. Here's the problem. As you say, it looks really bad and ugly. I was at, this is last year, mm-hmm. right? I was at a, a garden talk, uh, and I had uh, a woman come up to me and say, hey, wh- wh- what can you do about uh, like We've got all these black spots. I said, oh, that's probably tar spot. Yep. And she says, they're on all the trees in the neighborhood. And I said, 
what are all the trees in the neighborhood? And she said, silver maples. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay. That explains well, explains it. Yeah. And she said, well, one of our neighbors got really mad. And so she took care of it. And I said, what do you mean? She cut down her trees. <laughs> And I said, that's crazy right, right. because it's not – it doesn't put the tree in danger. It looks bad, right. uh, but it comes later in the season right. too. Well, and I, I know you've talked in the past about apple scab and crab apples. And that's sure. – you know, this time of year, actually probably a month or so ago, we really started seeing the leaves drop on uh, crab apples that are very susceptible to mm-hmm. apple scab disease. And if they're not treated – and they can be treated in a very safe, environmentally friendly way to protect <laughs> those trees uh, from apple scab disease. But in a lot of people mistaking that for a dead tree and they'll cut the tree down when, in fact, Ow. it's not. You know. Well, but that's – okay, let's let's go there for a second, Scott, I know because – like yeah, <laughs> No, 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 and I'm not going to debate you on this I, because uh, I have said to people – and I've said on the show and with, with when some of the Bartlett arborists are here that you could save yourself a lot of heartache and headache by cutting down a, a, a scab – uh, attracting apple tree and put one up. That's a resistant variety. And I did that. I, well, I didn't have the scab one. I just have an apple tree that's a resistant variety in my yard. Mm-hmm. I never have any problems with it. And and it looks great right now. It's it, And it's, it'll lose its leaves. And it's right. got all the, the crab apples on it right now. And then the birds begin to feast right. on it. Right. Uh, but you're saying you can actually treat that. If you don't want to lose that tree, there are ways you can deal with it and it's not harmful to the environment. Exactly. I mean, we the, the fungicides that are out there today are as environmentally friendly as they can be. And, and yeah, it, where we find ourselves treating those trees, they're the big, old, beautiful crab apples. Almost all are pink variety. That was right. That was the, the one that was most susceptible. But even today, some of the, the quote, um, resistant ones are just that resistant. And it, when the disease pressure is very heavy, yeah. they'll still get apple scab disease. And so, uh, you know, we, we don't recommend treating all crab apples, but the ones that are prone to that disease. And, and I've, I've seen some beautiful trees that if you just put a couple of applications on there, they would be mm-hmm. awesome during the year. So, again, as I tell people, call your arborist, your local arborist. And in this case, uh, Bartlett Tree Experts, go to Bartlett.com. Uh, and have them come out and give you some advice because that's the other thing you guys do really well. Right, absolutely. You, you, you know, we we are still the only doctors that make house calls, so we got to go out and look <laughs> at the trees. Uh, uh, people can bring samples like I brought in today, but really the best thing is to go out and look right. at the tree and its environment and see what's going on around it because it's it's not always just some pathogen or insect. It, it could be the soil. In fact, we know ninety percent of issues with trees are below ground and in the environment that they're they're in. Um, I, you know, I did bring another leaf disease. This isn't. This is rather uncommon because not many people plant aspen trees mm-hmm. around here. But I've got mm-hmm. a couple aspens in my my yard, and it gets this Marsonia uh, disease. That's a. Uh, it's just another leaf spot disease. But this one can be really bad. And, and if I have it treated by Bartlett, we treat this five times a year. Believe Imagine it or not, that. I know. But this this tree would be mm-hmm. defoliated by early July if I didn't treat this this leaf disease. So that's the case where I, I'm not going to cut down these forty foot aspen trees. They're gorgeous. I, I, I Did per- you plant them? Yeah, I planted them. I bought them from Connor Shaw when my daughter was uh, one year old. She was in the back seat in a car seat. I took the van down there. Connor sold me these two beautiful aspen trees. I shoved them into the van. They were eight feet tall, I think, at the time. Now mm-hmm. they're 40 feet. And this was uh, 20... Two years ago. Are those the ones that are out front? That, yeah, that, that and, I light oh, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should, he lights them yeah. up uh, for the holidays, and they're spectacular. Yeah. They're, but... Uh, does that indicate that aspens have a harder time here in this particular part of the country? Well, they do. That tree grows like crazy. But what's interesting, it doesn't – what are aspens known for in the Colorado Rockies? This beautiful, 
clear mm -hmm. yellow color. Yellow. And, and right. these you trees fly over the Rockies right. and you just see and them. And one of the first to turn, well, the, my aspens never turn that color. And talking to Connor, same thing. They don't get that vibrant yellow color here. And we, we think it's soil related, probably temperature related as mm -hmm. well. They'll turn a color, but uh, not like you see out west. But they're very hardy trees, and then they they rustle in the wind. In fact, I, mm -hmm. I'm just I'm reminded as I touch the the petiole here, which yeah. is that little piece that attaches to the branch. It's flat, and that's that allows it to flutter in the uh, the wind like that. It's almost like a little sail. Yeah, it just gets, it, where most beautiful petio, when yeah. you look oh, at the yeah. trees. Yeah, most of those petioles are round, but the the aspen is one of the ones that is really flat, and it. It acts like a little wind wind sculpture. And and you actually bring up a, a really good point with that, and that is planting trees outside of their native range. Right. Um, and, and and it can be done. Obviously, lots of people do it. Uh, up here, um, well, there's all kinds of things that uh, – trees that people want to plant. What do, you, what do you tell people when they're planting something outside of the native range? Well, again, you gotta you gotta know where you're gonna site it because there there's trees that are gonna be planted outside its native range, but be in a, a microclimate on your property that maybe mimics that native range. Sure. I brought a I brought a, a birch today. Uh, this is a sweet birch, betulenta that I have in my yard. And, and birches are white birches specifically are the ones that are often planted out of their range here, right? So these are white bark birches mm -hmm. that grow native in northern Michigan, northern Wisconsin. They do quite well there, but you bring them down to the heat. And the poor clay soils we have there, they get stressed and they get very susceptible to bronze birch borer, which wipes them out. Uh, this is a great alternative. It's not a white bark birch. It's actually like a cinnamon red colored uh, cherry uh, uh, bark that's absolutely mm. beautiful. It's uh, sweet birch. It's got a, if you, you rub the uh, uh, bark with your fingernail, you can smell this wintergreen. Uh, ah. you know, and they, you know, you can make teas and things out of it, but it's gotten, this is just a fall, beautiful yellow color that it's getting right now in, in my yard. But one of the best birches out there just grows crazy. You know, I don't have to do anything to it. All right. I'm going to come around here. Let's, can we, uh, oh, there we go. So you can see a little bit of this. I'll try not to cover your face. And. And those are the catkins. Yeah, the seeds. Yeah, the seeds that come from yeah. the catkins. Really yeah. nice catkins. And that's in your yard. Yep. Yep. Beautiful tree. All right, now, do I get to scratch it and see if I? Yeah, you can. Yeah. I was so going to say, we'll all if you can we'll all be at Scott's yard scratching that. the trees yeah, and yeah. Ooh, sniffing. It it does. Yeah. That's a great smell. You got to try that, Peggy. Yep. <laughs> For you folks at home, <laughs> turn we're, your we're sniffing turn your trees. Smell, yeah, tail to turn to smell vision. Right. Smellorama. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Cool. All right. So. Uh, so that, you know, the, the trees, but, but trees, I just say, planted outside of their native zone can do quite fine, but it's how it's sited. And again, best thing, call an arborist, uh, you know, good landscape architect or landscape professional that might be planting in your yard would know some of these things. Uh, I've seen some great trees that shouldn't grow here uh, do extremely well if <laughs> yeah. it's in the right microclimate. The trouble is, is that if it gets a bad winter or something changes, boom, in one season or one winter, that thing can get blasted out. Yeah. And, and of course, you're an arborist, so you're pushing the envelope. You want right. to see how these things perform, which, which is going to help you with your clients as well, I would imagine. Right. Right. Exactly. Because you've got the, the examples right there and you can, the, can talk about it. The one other one I've got is this is my favorite tree. This is the chinkapin oak. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, it's got a nice kind of – the oaks are just starting to turn, which always to me signals the – you know, toward the end of the uh, the fall season. They're the last to change colors, and it's got this nice reddish-brown color going. But the chinkapin oak is native. 
It grows very well on our. Um, when you say native, pages. native to North America or this particular part of the native country? to this part of the country, yeah, yeah. and it and it grows well in very uh, alkaline soils, which most of our soils are. Ah, see, so, now there's yeah. there's an issue. A lot of our our friends listening in various parts of the country. Heck, you can just go over to Michigan, and you've got acidic soils there uh, in parts of it. I mean, it kind of depends where you are, but here in our area, we're always dealing with alkaline soils. Mm-hmm. So I laugh when people say, "Well, you got to lime your." your your, your soil yeah. because yeah. that's something we don't need here, but a lot of places in the country do. Right, I, exactly. You mentioned Southwest Michigan. Uh, I just I got a message the other day from one of my good friends, Doug Hare, one of the best landscape architects in the in the world, and he wanted to know if it's still if we recommend planting beech trees in Michigan. And there's some problems evolving with native beech trees, and the beech beeches do grow naturally over in that southwestern part of Michigan. Sandy soils, a good yeah. microclimate. You bring a beech tree here, very difficult for it to grow. You know, our clay soils, some of our climate here in the Chicago area doesn't isn't isn't conducive to growing beaches. But mm-hmm. in southwest Michigan, I said, yeah, Doug, go ahead, you know, you know, continue planting beech trees over there. Although we have some in Millennium Park. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, in the the shoulder hedge uh, uh, at the Lurie Garden, there are some beaches, I believe. And, yes, and they're well maintained. They're in like a little microclimate there, right? They're, and they they're probably protected. have perfect soil, I yep. would imagine, because yep. that soil is. Folks, if you ever come to Chicago and you go to uh, Millennium Park, uh, go to the Lurie Garden because it's actually a rooftop garden. It is. It is a garden that's above a par- an underground parking garage, uh, and it is one of the most fantastic gardens in the world. Uh, it's, it, we had a, uh, we saw Scott Stewart's listening. So Scott, uh, waving out to you, text us, uh, or send us something on Facebook. How many visitors are you getting per year? There was a story recently, um, I think in the, um, yeah, it might've been, no, I think, uh, Detroit Free Press that said that there were 10 million visitors a year. And somebody who works at the garden said, eh, I think that's a little high. We don't know. But the point is millions of people are coming to Chicago mm-hmm. to see that garden because it's so beautiful and it has become worldwide a game changer. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, one of the most, uh, it is one of the most visited, if not the most visited garden in the country. And there, I know Scott is always trying to get a handle on how many visitors because mm-hmm. they don't have gate attendance or right. Right. there are ways to, to track those crowds. But I've heard that nine, ten million dollar or ten million person figure as well. So, and I, I can understand the folks that work there want to be conservative about it. They don't want to go making claims that aren't true. But as you say, it's really hard to tell how many people are there. And there's nothing more dramatic, especially in the Lurie Garden section of Millennium Park, which is, again, a world-renowned garden, uh, to stand there and look to the north and see the skyline of Chicago. Mm-hmm. You're, you're truly in a, a garden in a city. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just yeah. amazing to have that, that perspective. And there's some really cool plants in there that have been sited the right way, like beaches that, that so, do quite Yeah, well. that was my yeah. point, is yeah. that. It's got the right soil. It's got the right climate. And right the right there. care. And the and, right care. Yeah, Scott right. just wrote, it's 24.5 acres is all rooftop park. Yeah. That's amazing. Amazing. Where did, yeah. where did he pop that on? That's on the watch party on your personal page. <laughs> <laughs> I'm look, I am literally watching four Facebook pages right now. Because <laughs> I'm looking at the Facebook. I go, oh, I don't see anything here. But it's at the watch party on my personal page. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to go fooling around. Who cares? <laughs> That's why my computer's here. <laughs> All right. Uh, so um, uh, you can do it, uh, but you got to be careful because one of the things we're, we're do- losing right now are some of our conifers. Well, we've talked on the program about Norway um, maples in Colorado 
Blue spruces. Blue spruces. spruces. Not Norway maples. <laughs> spruces. Blue spruce. I mean. yeah. Uh, yeah, blue spruces. And, and the, those uh, are trees that are having some problems around here, aren't they? Yeah, conifers in general. Our folks at the Bartlett <laughs> Research Labs have, have been doing a lot of work around this because it's not just here in the Midwest, but also on the East Coast. And there's there's no question. A lot of the, the researchers say this is attributed to some of the climate change issues that we see with increasing temperatures. And again, uh, Colorado blue spruce is actually a zone three plant, so it should be planted way north. It, it occurs naturally in Colorado at high mm-hmm. altitudes, cool temperatures, uh, but it has become a, a well, you know, known plant to plant in the Midwest. But also it needs really nice draining soil. It, well, that it? was, yeah, it doesn't do well in the clay soils that we have here. And and so anyway, we're seeing a lot of complexes of different diseases. N- needle cast is the one right now that's devastating. Uh, you know, and and it's, a, it's a disease, a fungus disease uh, that, that hits the uh, needles of the trees. And it's related to this whole stress complex. And so, again, it can be treated and we don't just spray it, but we have a whole regime that we, we work to, to take care of the plants. But the issue is if these plants weren't as stressed as they are, they wouldn't be having this mm-hmm. disease issue that yeah. we see right now. And as you say, it is somewhat related it's related to site where where the natural ranges, but climate change plays a part in this as well. Yeah, increasing temperatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, drought. You know, the spruces typically like it cool and moist. That's what they like to grow in, and we typically don't see that in our summers here anymore. Okay, uh, we got a couple of minutes, so we're going to break. Uh, you've got one more. Yeah. Uh, well, you've got a bunch there. And, so. and when we come back, we've got at least two questions that have come in for Scott. Oh, okay. We'll mm-hmm. start. Uh, it is. By the way, this is stump the Scott. Today on the my, no, stump, stump. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know, of course. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we'll see. Le- leave it to Mike. Oh, okay. All right. All right. You oh. know, and when you, and when you say that, you know, you're going to get a response. What a yeah, jerk. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, All right. Um, one more quick uh, over there. Or you want me to opine about the uh, arborvitae here? Yeah, let's branch yeah. out into something else, please. So one of the things that we stop see... Stop it, everybody. Just stop it. We often get a lot of calls this time of year about my, my conifer, whether it's a, a pine tree or, in this case, I have an arborvitae, mm-hmm. where the needles are, are yellowing up, you know, but back off the tip. So in, in this case here, what we're seeing is uh, if you have an arborvitae hedge or a, a pine tree, often you'll see needles starting to yellow this time of year, but back inside right. the plant. That's just fall for a conifer. It's dropping its needle. So uh, my arborvitae hedge right now, the tips are nice and green, but inside we're getting some yellow foliage, and that's going to fall off. And if you notice pine trees and, and arborvitaes, they're not, they're not green all the way back. They drop their needles, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, that's the— it's all natural. Yeah, they have the dead zone on the right. inside of a, of a plant. Right. So there you go. Look at he's even doing the— uh... <laughs> He's doing his vanna there. <laughs> Okay, that is uh, Scott Jamison <laughs> from Bartlett Tree Experts. Uh, go to Bartlett.com and stick around with the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're going to stump the Scott next. Here we go. City Grange, Chicago's newest and most unique garden center, wants to remove all barriers to your gardening success. How? By providing organic heirloom plants for your kitchen garden, pollinator-friendly natives and annuals, container planting to go. They deliver the plants you put them in. Who does that? Classes for adults and kids, special events, and more. They even have complimentary valet parking on weekends. 5500 Northwestern Avenue at Catalpa, citygrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. It's a new year, and Chicagoans are still looking for new and better ways to get healthier. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach our area's growing wellness and sustainability market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 engaged monthly readers. 
Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. One, two, three. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and it is indeed good to be alive. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, and we've got uh, our arborist friend here in studio, the man himself, Scott Jamison, and we're playing a little bit uh, uh, Stump the Scott here uh, with your tree care questions. Uh, again, 877-711-5611. However, they're coming in on Facebook, which is, these are shy people. They they don't want to get on the phone. No, this all, is 21st century. Media. So yeah, <laughs> right. social media is it. I haven't even checked the Twitter machine. So. Uh, maybe I should. So while you're, uh, why don't you uh, give us a, a question for Scott? Okay, so Tracy writes in to, to say, are galls harmful to a young four to five-year-old yeah, four to five year old oak tree. Nearly every acorn is a gall in my chinkapin oak this fall. Oh yeah, I get I get the same thing with my chinkapin oaks. No, it's it's not a it's not a, a problem to the for the tree at all. It doesn't hurt its health. I'm not sure what causes it. It's it's probably an insect that uh, kind of stings it and injects something in there and causes the. Uh, uh, the acorn to be deformed, and it's and that's what a gall is. It's uh, almost similar to human medicine, like a tumor, where the cells grow in a in an abnormal way and uh, can can create these uh, round uh, gall looking things. So not an issue. Uh, Chinkapin oaks, though, it's interesting. It's the number one favorite acorn by by squirrels. And in fact, uh, I, I, I saw that in a nine, recent, recent poll. Yeah. Nine out of ten yeah. squirrels yeah. approve exactly. the chinkapin. Yeah, right now they're raising their tails in approval. Uh, but it's true, you can't. Uh, my my uh, uh, tree produces a lot of acorns, but the squirrels get them almost as soon as they start developing. Uh, evidently, it's a very sweet acorn. They love it. Uh, the, the good thing is you don't have the acorn mess under the tree, but the bad thing is you don't get to see these really cool acorns because the squirrels just just devour them. Uh, so the galls aren't an issue. And in, in general, you get galls on leaves and on stems, and uh, typically those aren't anything that you need to be concerned about. Okay. Uh, the next question is from Zan. She wonders, is it too late to plant a tree, especially a pear tree? Oh, um, uh, I, think, I think when you get into fruit trees, uh, it's interesting because I was uh, trying to help somebody a couple of, I want to say a month ago, actually, uh, get a, a peach tree, and then I started, and then we had um, Oren Martin on yeah. our show recently, and I read his book. He's got a wonderful book out about growing fruit trees, hmm. um, and they 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 tell you to be careful in the fall. That probably he says you probably want to hit the ground running in the spring. Yeah. Uh, first of all, you're going to have a hard time finding them at this time of year. Peaches, especially, don't even try it at this time of year. Pear, I'm not so sure, uh, but I would suspect, that again, that spring is going to be a better time, according to what he had to say mm-hmm. in his book. Yeah, that, that's generally our recommendation. You can certainly plant in the fall, but Mike's right. It's hard to find good stock. This kind of everything that's out there now is kind of left over. Yeah. Uh, so spring is typically our recommendations for planting. Um, and I don't know if it's an ornamental pear or a, a fruit production pear. Oh, well, if, it, yeah. if it's not an, if it's not a fruit production pear, I'm going to say, why are you planting yeah. a pear? Yeah, those aren't she, our... She didn't say. She just yeah. said specifically a the, pear. Those uh. those aren't our favorite species, although there are some newer varieties in pear of, of the ornamental pear that are fine. But uh, uh, 
short answer is you can you can plant in the fall. You just want to make sure there's adequate moisture, which we've had. You want to mulch it so that soil stays a little bit warmer around that root ball to encourage some root growth. And that's the issue is that oftentimes the soil temperatures will drop fairly quickly. You won't get good root establishment. And so that tree kind of sits there in that root ball mm-hmm. uh, during the wintertime. And if you mulch it, it's fine. You can plant in the fall, but we, we do prefer the spring. Uh, but uh, the fall is generally, uh, again, if we're not talking fruit tree, production um it's it's not a bad time to get a tree in the ground exactly. because yeah. as you pointed out the roots continue to grow but it's not busy with leaf right. uh activity and so it can all focus on yeah. on the roots exactly and um we know here that even if it gets cold the air gets cold down in the 30s the the ground's going to be warmer mm-hmm. so uh but let's get real quickly back to calorie pairs okay because uh in some parts of the country there are scourge um, they have gotten out of their bounds. Um, I went to, and I've talked about it on the show before, but several years ago, went to an invasive plant seminar at, the uh, the Chicago Botanic Garden and they spent half the day talking about calorie pairs. Mm. And, uh, you mentioned that some of them aren't, but what they've discovered, at least what I learned from that conference is you can get a variety that is sterile and I'm using air quotes here. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's sterile. Theoretically. So it's not going to combine with its own variety but a different variety that is also sterile might come together with that and now they're releasing seeds and and the calorie pair is spreading and and they're all over uh logan square where i live because on the on the parkway there in the spring it's all white blooms and it's mm-hmm. all the calorie mm-hmm. pairs uh do yourself a favor and maybe back off from that because uh too many uh too many municipalities well i guess i would say more homeowners because i don't know if the municipalities are are, are purchasing those trees. Do you, Scott? No, not, not, a, not a whole lot. Most of them taking them off their list because of, of what you said. Yeah. Uh, uh, what other trees would you say? Well, you know, I'll, I'll just to stick on the calorie pair, because it does it has a soft spot in my heart for one reason, and this is the survivor tree at the 9-11 National Memorial, which you, you may know about. This was the tree that was pulled out of the rubble by the New York uh, recovery team back in the day, and uh, they found this calorie pair. They put it in a, a park in, in New York City, and the park department took care of that. And and so now it's on the plaza. It's known as the survivor tree, and mm-hmm. uh, Bartlett takes care of it. We also have a program with the John Bound School, which is a uh, agricultural-based high school in Queens, uh, where we take cuttings and we actually propagate that tree. And there are seedlings of calorie pear. And it kind of it kind of goes against all all the other uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, rationale around this. But um, it is it is the survivor tree, and it has a, a special um, uh, place in our heart. And so there are uh, survivor tree seedlings around the United States at other 9/11 memorials. In fact, when we did the tour to trees in Wisconsin a few years ago, we stopped in Green Bay and we actually dedicated a 9-11 memorial tree. They have a 9-11 memorial in downtown Green Bay and we planted one of those uh, survivor trees there. And you bring up a really important point about trees. There, it's There's emotions involved mm-hmm. with owning a tree and, and caring for a tree because, as I say in one of the commercials for Bartlett, they're part of the family. Right. And right. so... Even though this is a tree that is not, boy, don't you wish a chinkapin oak had survived yeah. uh, instead of a calorie? Well, well, there is another survivor tree. It's the Oklahoma City bombing survivor tree in, in Oklahoma City, and I, I got to visit that memorial a couple years ago for the first time. If you're ever in Oklahoma City, go to that site. It's one of the most mm-hmm. well done. Uh, memorials I've ever seen, and there is an American elm that is the survivor tree. And the story on that tree was when the the, the Murrow building went down and the explosion happened. Uh, a lot of things were uh, this. There was a this crappy elm tree in the parking lot. 
Um, nobody ever paid attention to it. Uh, the FBI wanted to cut it down and do forensics on it because it had a lot of things from the building in, sure. you know, into the tree. They left it alone. They forgot about it. And then the next spring, that, it, that tree blossomed out, leafed out, and it was beautiful. And they said, hey, this is the survivor tree. So the entire memorial is built around this mm. American elm. And there's all sorts of uh, cuttings and things for that tree. That, it's very difficult to get an Oklahoma City survivor tree. You have to be kind of related to those that lost their lives to get one of those uh, seedlings. But it's a, it's an, um, and it's in a beautiful, uh, beautiful American elm. I was not aware of that yeah. one. That's no, a, that's a great story. That. Um, so we have another question. Sure, go for it. As well as um, Zan says, yes, that is a fruit pear. Okay, good. okay. Yeah, there we go. Christine Nye oh, has now hopped in. Oh boy. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. She says she wants to stump the sky. Yeah, she'll do it too. She's awesome. She says, "What can be done to eliminate chlorosis in red maples growing in our area?" Part two: Is it from soil pH? It is. So the red maples get this chlorosis, which is a yellowing of the leaf, and and typically that's that's due to the alkaline soils. And a lot of times it was often uh, associated with iron, but uh, more re- recent research says it's manganese, and so it's a combination of nutrients. But at the end of the day, it's this this alkaline soil issue, and um, you can. Acidify the soil, that helps. You can inject um, uh, nutrients into the stem, that also helps. But the, the best thing is having um, the soil dealt with in such a way that it uh, is not as alkaline. A right tree in the right place. Right tree in the right mm-hmm. place. And, yeah. you, know, so it's, you know, the true red maple will have that. Uh, some of the varieties, in fact, my neighbor has a uh, Freeman maple, which is a cross between the reds and the and the silvers, and it's just it's stunning, very popular stunningly days, beautiful. Yeah. You know? And again, I, I don't know if it's overplanted yet. I don't see a lot. Of them, but <laughs> but it, that's the problem. We get these trees, we love yeah. them. And I think uh, honey locusts are overplanted myself. Right. Well, I remember when Mayor Daly uh, uh, put a moratorium on planting honey locusts. It probably doesn't exist anymore, but that was because that was the you know very much overplanted tree in the city and started sure to develop issues. D- d- anybody we know, do you think, put a bug in his ear about that one? Yeah, I mean, maybe Susan Malik McKenna or somebody? I have like a great, great quick story on, on trees. When the city uh, got really more progressive and guys like Joe McCarthy in the city of Chicago was you know behind planting a lot of cool trees, they planted a bunch of Kentucky uh, coffee trees in the medians, you know, the medians mm-hmm. of the city. And I went by there and said, oh, that's awesome. And I call up Joe, great job on the coffee tree. Literally a week later, I go by, they had been swapped out for honey locusts. I'm like, what's going on? He goes, Mayor didn't like those trees. And it was because the coffee trees look like uh, coat racks in the wintertime. They yes. don't have much branching. Well, when they're young. Yeah. And so the mayor, and he was well-meaning, and he was like, I don't like the look of those trees. And they, they repurposed them. They put them somewhere else. But it was an age and era where uh, the mayor was really dialed into trees. And I know that cool. story because I've told that story, too. Except you gotta, <laughs> when, you, when you do it, you've got to do the Richie Daly line. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't like those trees. Let's get, let's get those trees out of here. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, they look like a coat rack. What, what is that? What is that tree? I don't want that. Much better. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> hey, l- let me ask you. Uh, I have a question. Can I get it? Get a question yep, here? Yep. Uh, there's a lull right now. So. There's a, okay. Uh, the question I have because I got it at a uh, garden talk, and I think I wrote to you about this. Um, a woman said the tree leaves seem to be turning color very slowly this year, and I and my guess was that it's because the trees are happy. Is that they've had a lot of water and they're still the chlorophyll. Yes. It's still doing its job. The leaf color is still green, and they're just saying, hey, let's manufacture as much uh, energy as we can while we have it. Um, and then I talked to my buddy Dan Danelli at North Shore Country Club just the other day because he does some great stuff there with compost and, and biochar and things uh, at this golf course. And I asked him the same question, and I told him what I thought it was, is that it was the rain. And he said, yeah, I think you're right. 
What do you think? Yeah, that's that, that could be every year we ask that question. Is it early? Is it late? Is it going to be a spectacular fall? I think it's kind of on track. But there's no question that when, uh, you know, a number of things trigger fall color. Uh, stress is one of them. And if, when you see premature fall color, it's almost always because that tree is stressed. Uh, Morton Arboretum just put out their fall color report for last week. And they said, hey, if you want to see some early fall color, uh, go to the parking lot at the Arboretum because those are the trees that are more stressed mm-hmm. and they're going to color up. Yeah, first. That's and, really interesting. And, and again, the whole process of coloring, right, you've probably talked about this, is the green in the leaf is caused by chlorophyll. That's a very, um, that's what creates the sugars and all that. But that's a, a pigment that goes away really quickly when the tree stops producing it. And and the underlying colors of orange and, and uh, yellow are really what makes the basis of the color of leaf. So when that chlorophyll disappears and it stops being produced, such as when a tree is in, under stress, then you start to see these other colors come out. And so the advice is go to the Morton Arboretum and sit in your car in the parking. <laughs> no, watch those stress trees. Yeah, I know. And but but turn off your car because it'll stress them even more. All right. All right. Uh, I don't know if we're are we are we cool, Andrew? Soil and plant health don't stop at harvest. Now is the critical time to set up for next season. And the products to use are from Tinyo Biologicals. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, the soil needs are the same. Feed those plants with spectrum and Nutri-Need to get your soil ready for spring. Go to blazing-star.com. The soil can make compost from field debris, so use Biodigester as well. Tinyo products from Blazing Star. Go to blazing-star.com. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Listen carefully and you just might learn something. No one educates and promotes gardening like you and Peggy. Uh, We applaud you and you do a great job. You're actually saving lives. You don't realize it, but you're able to help affect our area. We try to do that. Uh, And that, of course, is uh, that's mom and dad on the line there. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Sunday mornings from 9 to 11, right here on Smart Talk. And now, for something completely different for the season, the Frozen Robins. Oh, holy night. Late December, back in 1 B.C. T'was the night of the nativity. What a baby, what a night. Talented, funny, unique, the Frozen Robins are Chicago's number one caroling group. Exquisite harmonies, madcap improvisation, holiday sketches and characters, even a 10-minute version of It's a Wonderful Life. They are definitely not your mother's carolers. Go to frozenrobins.com or contact me, Mike, at MikeNovak.net. Because I'm not just a fan of the Frozen Robins, I are one. You see, we have the odd couple here today, and that's in studio, Scott Jameson, and on Facebook, Scott Stewart. So it's 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 the two Scots, which I think is a a new TV show. Great Scott, great Uh, Scott. There we go. And uh, because Scott Stewart, now Scott Stewart works at. Folks should know, for, the, for those who don't know Scott Stewart, and I'm not going to remember 
his exact title. Do you do you know what it? I think he's executive director of the Millennium Park Foundation, which oversees the entire yeah. thing. It's a big deal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He is oh, a, he, yes. His he, Facebook page says executive director at Millennium Park Foundation. I got it right. Thank you. <laughs> you, you. And it's Dr. Scott Stewart. He is uh, is very very well known, renowned plantsman mm-hmm. as well as being executive director. So what's what the, a Oh, dear. Uh, no, no, I would, I would never say this about Scott Stewart. What a jerk! All right, no, I wouldn't do that. So he's got another question, and <laughs> yes, he, he wants, says, to, he wants to trap uh, Scott Jameson. Yes, he here. does. He says, "So, what can be done to help ensure longevity in the allele of London plane trees planted in above grade planters with limited soil volume?" Ooh. And there's Whoa. a part two. There's a part two to that as well. And what about dealing with powdery mildew in the same trees? Uh, well, powdery mildew is, is a fungus that's created by excess moisture, so you can treat that. Um, I don't know that it has to be treated. And, uh, and I guess the question is that powdery mildew or anthracnose, there's two different things. But mm-hmm. uh, with the limited root space, and it's a, it's, a, it's a concern with plants that are grown in these above-ground containers because unlike bonsais that are grown that way, you can, you know, bonsais you can pull out and prune the root system, right, and, and keep that tree in balance. You can't do that with uh, large trees. So the best recommendations we have is, is keep that upper foliage pruned back so that it, you don't get too much excessive foliage on top and try to keep that balanced. So, um, and I don't, I don't know uh, these particular trees, if that's the, uh, the case, but where we've seen success is where there's pretty intense pruning on those trees on a re- regular basis. You can't do the root pruning, but you can do the top pruning. And then if that soil uh, volume gets compacted from the root system uh, growing in there, you can go in with an air knife, which is like a high pressure uh, air stream, and you can you can open up that soil a little bit and, and get some aeration down there. Even it's, in the planter. Yeah, even in the planter. We did that at the Art Institute a number of years ago because they have honey locusts that are growing in these above-ground containers. Uh, and, and we just went in there and, and loosened up that soil without damaging the root system. We saw uh, uh, a presentation, a demonstration of those air knives yeah. uh, at the, the Bartlett Tree Research Center right. in, in North Carolina uh, thank you for sending us down there. Peggy and I went this year, and I keep talking about it, and I tell people about all the cool things you guys yeah. are doing. Well, we're, we're going to be running out of time. And by the way, um, uh, S- Scott Stewart. That makes no sense. All right. We're just uh, we're doing what we can here. We're just trying to answer questions. Yeah. Um, let's give some general advice to folks. I know you. if we can get to the pawpaw. And, well, just hold those up real quick. You've got some pawpaw. Yeah, these are just a couple of my tree friends that I think are good plants, native plants to plant. The pawpaw, which is a, a, a almost a tropical-looking tree. It's yeah. native to this area. Mostly, though, you don't see it this far north as much as in Indiana and Michigan. And it has this unbelievable fruit called the pawpaw fruit that uh, I, was, I was saying at one of the breaks. I had 25 pounds on my little pawpaw this year in backyard in Arlington Heights. Uh, this year, I had like a pound. And these trees will cycle call their fruit uh, mm-hmm. production. You need a male and female, but it's a it's a really good tree that I've, I've not found any problems with the pawpaw. Uh, so great tree. And then also two other good... And under- it's a, it's a, 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 a kind of an understory tree, isn't it? Or, it is, actually, but it grows really well in the sun. That's where it, it'll mm-hmm. take off if you have... So, but it's not, it's not going to get huge. No, it's not yeah, going to get not going to get It grows huge. a little more horizontal, yeah. too. And same with the hornbeam and the hop hornbeam. Very similar trees. The uh, You've got branches from each. Yeah, the horn, yeah. hornbeam tree, uh, there's an American version and a European version. That's probably most commonly planted. It's got the wood that uh, often people call it muscle wood. It looks like right. striated muscles. Hmm. And then the the other one is the hophorn beam, Carpinus, which uh, its its term, uh, its common name is uh, uh, ironwood, and it has uh, fruits this time of year that look like uh, hops from uh, you know beer hops oh, that do, you would make yeah. beer out of. 
And they're both just great, you know, small, good city urban trees that I would recommend. So the hornbeam or the hop hornbeam. And they are trees that I don't think a lot of people choose very often. No, and native native trees as well, uh, except if, unless it's the European so version. Those yeah. are three trees right there right. that you, you might consider. Strongly recommend, yeah. As we get into the fall now and the trees start to lose their leaves, uh, people are thinking about well, what can I do to help my tree get through the winter? More importantly, how can I prepare it for the spring? What do you tell folks? Well, the, the winter is one of the best times of year to, to prune trees. You can prune almost all year round. There's a couple species, oaks and elms, that we don't prune until the winter time, and that's because uh, when you prune them during the growing season, they're more uh, prone to um, uh, diseases, uh, Dutch elm disease with the American elm and oak wilt uh, with the uh, the oak tree. So winter is the best time to prune. We also see the structure of the trees a lot better during the wintertime. The trees are, quote, dormant. They take to pruning a little bit better, but uh, pruning during the wintertime is, is a great, great thing to do. And, you know, we don't have to worry about moisture, it appears, going into this winter, but I always say well, make sure Well, it kind of trees... depends where you are. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. As I mentioned, in southern... Uh, in central Illinois, there are some droughty areas uh, yep, yep. down there. But up here on the northern tier, and this goes pretty much across the country, it's been pretty wet. Yeah, yeah. So, but typically we say make sure those trees are going into the, the wintertime dormant season with good soil moisture, mulch them. Pruning, watering, that sort of thing, mulching, on the, in the, you know, heading into the, the wintertime is the, the best thing. All right. Have we got any other uh, questions there? No, just a couple comments from Tom Bouchel about uh, trees being overplanted. He says, tree development takes way more time. Breeders are focused on shrubs and perennials more so because of quick turnaround for profitability. Time for releasing a new tree could be 15 to 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yep, true. Well, and that's a reason why you go to some of the tried and true, the natives, uh, and get some of those uh, planted because a lot of them aren't. Right, right. And I, I know you've talked, too, about you know size of trees and you know how quickly trees uh, recover from transplanting. We, I'm still a, a believer in that two to three inch diameter tree. Uh, you, you come in with a larger tree trying to get an instant landscape, that tree will sit there. And it, you've probably talked about the Morton Arboretum study they did years ago, which says for every inch of uh, diameter in tree that that tree is going to sit for a year. So a, a five inch diameter tree, if you plant that, it's going to take about five years for it to recover its root system and start growing again. It'll be fine. It'll it'll survive. But a, a two-inch diameter tree only takes about two years to recover its root mm-hmm. system and really take off. And we'll often see this uh, a two-inch diameter tree catch up with a five-inch diameter tree very quickly. Yeah, and uh, that's something you're going to pay a lot less yep. for a two-inch tree. And and I think trees grow faster than people think. They have this idea that, uh, you know, Connor Shaw, you mentioned Connor Shaw, mm-hmm. he uh, uh, oaks is the one that drives him crazy because he, he, people tell him, well, I don't want an oak because it's not going to grow fast enough. He says, not the way I plant them. Well, <laughs> and the, and the, the chinkapin oak, where I got from, you know, I got from Connor, that, that often will flush or, or grow two times a year. So it'll, it'll push out or grow. Usually it pushes out and then it stops. It has a terminal bud. I've often seen that, that chinkapin oak then flush again, which you normally don't see unless you're in the south. So two, kind of two increments of growth mm-hmm. in one year. That, that chinkapin oak has just done fabulous. I can't talk enough about the chinkapin. I love, I love that tree. Uh, yeah, that we should plant more of those. Why don't you marry it yeah. if you like it so much? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. My 12-year-old comes out of me every now don't and then. Don't be a jerk. Ah, uh, yeah. I know. I've, I've, got, I've, I've, I've got to play that uh, for myself, right? Come on, jerk. 
Seriously? All right, there we go. That was for me. Before we go, let's do a little plug for Bartlett uh, Tree Experts. You've got about a minute here. Yeah, uh, Bartlett Tree Experts, uh, third-generation family uh, owned by the Bartlett family. Uh, a lot of people think we're from Bartlett, Illinois. Uh, we're not. It's uh, The name comes from the Bartlett family. Been around for 110 years now. Started out east. Yeah, start out east. Our headquarters in Stanford, Connecticut. Uh, we've got four offices here in Chicago and nine throughout the Midwest. That's and 130 it. around the world. Yeah, you guys are not just national, you're international. International, And yes. uh, so what you do is you go to Bartlett.com. You can type in your zip code and find out where you can get an Arborist representative to come out to your house and learn great stuff, Absolutely. like about pawpaws and all kinds of great yeah. stuff. Hey, Scott Jamison, thank you so much. What a pleasure having Thanks, you Thanks, Ben. Good to you. All right, we'll be back. Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This hour is brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Are, are we there or not? I'm seeing something. I can't. Switchboard turned it off, so I guess we're restarting Facebook for hour two. Okay. Okay. Make it stop. All right. <laughs> And music fade out. <laughs> there we go. I know. Andrew's also trying to do the uh, Facebook there too. He, Andrew's like, I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, I don't blame him. I mean, I'm. I'm um... <laughs> By the way, we had a great question from uh, Jeannie Davis, uh, who said, "Can an arborist help pick where or if a tree can be planted on a small property?" Yes, I would. Absolutely call an arborist for that if you're not sure. And let me tell you something, Jeannie, two places you want to look. Look up, look down. Uh, Look up, see where the wires are, depending on how tall the tree's going to get. Uh, Look down, make sure you're not digging into any pipes or lines underground. Um, Also look sideways, because as we know, a lot of people plant shrubs and they're uh, right outside their front door, and then they can't get 10 <laughs> years later. And they can't find the front door. They can't find the front door. They can't get and, in. They and can't also even, um... look up before you plant. No, I said that first. Oh, okay. Uh, I missed that. You were busy working on I've, Facebook. It, which seems to be off. So so we're not we're not on Facebook, huh? Okay. That's okay. We're moving forward. 
Um, and we've got something coming up Tuesday. If Facebook will let us, <laughs> we're going to be at the Impact Conference from the Illinois Landscape Contractors Association. We a couple of weeks ago we talked about uh, that coming up. Resilient landscapes redefining the design, build, maintain paradigm. Uh, if you're a contractor, if you're uh, you know if you're just interested in how to put plants in somebody's yard, you should come by to the Chicago Botanic Garden. Uh, and there's going to be a lot of great people, and Peggy and I are going to be talking to them uh, during the conference all day long, and uh, if Facebook lets us uh, pop them up there. Do you think Mark Zuckerberg woke up early and he's actually listening to the show? Mm-hmm. This I think, do you think that that's what's going on? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, he looked out, saw a gall on a tree, and turned us off. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, but that we will, we will be there. Um, and, and you can get tickets still for that event to go uh, at ilc.net slash impact dash conference. Okay. Um, so, and, and I was looking at some of the other stuff that uh, uh, we've been doing in in the past week. And one of the things, as you know, we celebrated the, uh, uh, the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. And uh, we've been, we gave out a lot of those awards last week. And people are starting to take photographs of them in their yards, which is really cool. And then we get to post them. Uh, on uh, on the, the the website and the uh, uh, Facebook page and Instagram and wherever we want to put them, so it's uh, it's really cool. Yeah. And Marlene Fisher sent a great one last week. Yeah, because she's, she's won all three years. She's got the hat trick <laughs> for uh, for three years uh, of the competition. Yeah, so congratulations to all those people and thanks for uh, putting your photos up there. We really really appreciate it. Um, I was noticing, speaking of. Facebook, you know, when I when I do all these posts about all these important things going on, um, uh, conferences and issues involving city government and people getting fined for planting natives in their yard and stuff, and you know, we get we get a decent response. You get four hundred, five hundred folks who who see it, and then you put up a, a yellow um, <laughs> a yellow cardinal, and it gets thirty five hundred. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, that's fake. Why didn't you put up a yellow cat? Okay, that would get that's like, next week. That would be twice as many. That'll be next that week. It, that it was. I have to find the one that's dancing and playing the piano while being yellow. Uh, they're out there. Believe me, that that is out there. So, uh, <laughs> but I don't. You know, as Kathleen said, she said, you know, people want to know this stuff. If there's a yellow cart, have you ever seen a yellow no. cardinal? No, it's very rare. Yeah. And actually, somebody did post that they had seen one in. Their yard this summer, they said. It's it's an albino. It's a recessive gene causing yeah. the cardinal to be yellow. And from what I was reading about it, the southern cardinal is more likely to be yellow versus the northern, which would just kind of fade to a, a, a pinkish white. Oh, that's that's yellow. That photo, unless they tweaked the photo. And, and you were talking about the photo on uh, the blog post that I put up last night for today. And what color is the sky is... On some screens, it's purple. That tree is like uh, Mayenta. That's an electric tree. That's an electric tree. Um, it's because I posted it on my computer yesterday, and I looked at it, and it was dull. Because I had this beautiful maple and mm-hmm. leafing out in red, and I took the photo, and it was this beautiful, garish red. I went, good, this is going to be the blog post photo. And I put it up there, and then I looked at it, and it went, this is dull. So I started tweaking it, and apparently on other screens now, it, 
the sky's purple. But it gets your attention going by. You can't miss it. You cannot miss it. You're going to go, I mean, on this screen, on this computer, it's purple. Purple sky. Uh, But the tree looks great. What can I tell you? There's there's a few trees I've seen in the neighborhood uh, yesterday, especially with the sun out and the sun hitting them. Just brilliant, brilliant colors right now. So get outside today. It's a gorgeous sunny day to see the trees. Yeah, they're gone. Do it now, as Scott said. He thinks we're we're about at peak, uh, or just about to get there. So this is a good time to go out and see the tree color, because Rick DeMille wrote to us and said, "Hey, we might have snow by next week." Oh, great! Thanks, Rick. He'll be on later in the show. But coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about Illinois Green veterans and how they can get involved in clean energy. It's a great conversation. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. It's a new year, and Chicagoans are still looking for new and better ways to get healthier. This is Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach our area's growing wellness and sustainability market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 engaged monthly readers. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. We're also at TheGreenDivas.com and on the Gab Radio Network. Podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. Sign up for posts in our newsletter on the homepage and support the sponsors who support us. Look for their logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. The 12th annual McHenry County College Green Living Expo returns on Saturday, November 2nd, and it's packed with cool, sustainable exhibits and learning experiences. The Clean Transportation Exhibit features luxury electric vehicles. There are workshops on regenerative agriculture, composting, and recycling. Visit with area farms, CSAs, and other organizations to learn more about local agriculture. There are more than 100 area businesses and organizations offering green exhibits, taste local food, go on the sustainable artist walk, and tour the beautiful new MCC greenhouse and high tunnels. The Green Living Expo is free and open to the public. Peggy and I will be there. Come and join us. McHenry County College, Saturday, November 2nd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to mchenry.edu slash green expo or contact the MCC Office of Sustainability at 815-479-7765. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And uh, this, we found out about our, our next guest from our assistant, uh, Ellie, uh, who was working with her uh, somewhere in the, in the Park District, right? Uh, we were both members of uh, the Student Conservation Association, and we worked with the uh, Nature Oasis program of the Chicago Park District. There, there we go. And that's uh, Sergeant Jessica Kling. Uh, she's in the studio with us. We're very pleased to to have her on board. And so uh, uh, Ellie wrote to us and said, hey, uh, uh, Sergeant Kling is is uh, organizing something called Illinois Green Veterans. 
Uh, it's a, a national organization, but she was trying to get uh, something going here in the state of Illinois. And he said, would you would you be willing to talk to her on the show? I said, absolutely. Are you kidding? That sounds like a, a great deal. So, uh, Sergeant Kling, welcome to the program. Should I call you Sergeant Jessica? What should I call you here? Uh, you can just call me Jessica. Okay. And yeah, thank right. you so much for having me. And uh, first of all, thank you for your service. Uh, and thank you for reaching out to other vets to get them to be part of the new clean energy economy. So tell us a little bit about how that happened with you. Um, well, for me specifically, um, I was getting a master's in a master's of uh, sustainable management at the University of uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. So for my uh, my uh, project thesis, I chose uh, this topic of how to get veterans into sustainability. Um, and then while I was researching it, uh, I found about all these different organizations that were kind of starting the same things, uh, Green Veterans, but also Mission Continues and Chicago Veterans. So a lot of different organizations that are also uh, trying to get veterans into the sustainability field. And uh, and so the Green Veterans, the founder, uh, Brian Solis, he was trying to get chapter started in Illinois. And he uh, and so I got into meeting with him. And so that's where we started from. How do we get her uh, behind uh, out from that oh, microphone? Sorry. No, no, no. Actually, go the other way. Go that way a little more. There we go. And uh, no, I just want it. We just want her on the mic. That would be good. I mean, or on the so camera, now you can move camera. closer to it. Yeah, now you can move. Is that good? Because we we are live uh, now on YouTube and Twitter, okay. just not Facebook. Is okay, that, is that good? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, good enough. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, That's okay. There's, we there's, only got a few minutes. Yeah, we're good. So uh, uh, there's this event coming up on Tuesday, um, and it is called Green Veterans. Listen, lead, share a conversation about clean energy. This is a partnership with Illinois Green Veterans, Illinois Green Alliance, and the Clean Jobs Coalition. Uh, and it happens at the American Legion Tatler Post, which is 40, 4355 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago from 6 to 8 p.m. What's going to happen at this event? So the Illinois uh, Clean Jobs Coalition, they've had several of these events uh, in different communities um, and so really they're trying to get feedback to make the Clean uh, Energy Jobs Act even stronger. Because mm-hmm. when the uh, Future Energy Jobs Act was passion, passed in 2016, like $12 billion went, went through, um, you know, uh, funding and uh, jobs and training and energy efficiency programs. But they didn't really get a lot of feedback from community members. Mm-hmm. So this is to really make the next phase of it, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, even stronger and better and things that really, that really work for veterans and other communities. So they're, they're trying to solicit feedback of which programs would be the, the best. And we also are going to have um, home, energy, home energy efficiency information and also uh, jobs that are um, currently uh, with the Future Energy Jobs Act as well. So what is there anything in the, uh, in the service when you uh, are in – uh, the service pre- preparing for civilian life afterward. Are you learning much about the clean energy economy or sustainability? I mean, I, I, I just wonder if there's, there's anything in there that prepares you to do something like this. Um, well, like my, my job, like my job in the army is a paralegal. So I'm a chief paralegal. That's oh, what okay. I do in the army reserves. Um, there are, I, for the for the military, there are they 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 actually do you know I I have heard that they do want to promote um, 
energy efficiency within the military because there there is in the past there's been a lot of you know uh, waste with that. So they're sure. looking to get energy efficiency um, like throughout the the military and and I've seen like other people like in the Air Force and the Army uh, try to direct um, resources um, better ener- to, to make to make it better uh, energy efficient there. So. But obviously, you have an interest mm-hmm. in it personally, you know, yeah. because you were part of the Student uh, Conservation mm-hmm. Association. Mm-hmm. Um, so what led to that in your own life? Um, so I originally wanted to um, always help individuals. Uh, I started with um, the Wisconsin Public Interest uh, Research Group, and I started with the Homeless and Hunger Campaign. So originally, I always wanted to help uh, people and individuals. And when I learned about climate change and all these faces, all these uh, challenges that will face human population in the future, um, I really want to help solve those problems. And so I mm-hmm. see what I try to do is try to help both people and the environment because I see them very uh, linked. And so that's why I try to pursue um, uh, goals and objectives that would help uh, both of them, like like for teaching and like for workforce development. Uh, and so if, if folks uh, aren't, aren't aware of this, uh, again, uh, the – Future Energy Jobs Act was passed in 2016 in Illinois, and it is it has kind of put Illinois up there as a chance to be a leader in in clean energy. Um, and uh, the problem is we don't have the vets organization in the state right now. Is that right? Well, this is our first event for our our chapter. Okay. And how many people are behind this event and putting this together besides you? It's not um, just you, I assume. No, 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 no. We have partners with the Illinois Green Alliance, Illinois uh, Clean Jobs Coalition. Mm-hmm. And under the Illinois Clean Jobs Coalition, um, we have a member. One of our facilitators would be the um, is a member of a Citizens Utility Board and Elevate Energy. So those will be our, mm-hmm. our facilitators. So we have we have several partners. And, of course, American Legion is our is our host. Right. Yeah. And then there's a bigger model nationally with the uh, U.S. Green Building Council, Green Veterans Group. So I noticed there were similar projects, say, in Florida. Florida and Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our the founder, Brian Salise, they started it in Florida, and they brought a uh, chapter to uh, Milwaukee, and they partnered with Groundworks. And they, I know they've done a lot of um, urban agriculture and um, organ, uh, organic like like therapy. Like they've had veterans uh, go through programs to where it helps with their PTSD. and um, Yes, so kind of like a combination of horticulture, uh, job training, and to help with a P- PTSD. Well, we've we've talked to folks like that on the show in the past. I uh, had a couple of women on um, several years ago. They have a farm in Indiana called Wild Blue Yonder, um, and part of their goal was to train vets um, and to help them cope. Uh, some some have harder times than others uh, getting back into society and, and agriculture and farming is a great way to do that. And perhaps you're thinking the clean energy sector will, will do the same thing. Um, yes. Uh, but also, yeah, I, I agree that uh, the urban agriculture, that that's been part of the most effective in like helping uh, with a PTSD uh, therapy. Um, I, I would say like, you know, a lot of the veterans, like when I interviewed, like for my uh, master's degree program, a lot of veterans, uh, you know, they seek, they really seek a purpose afterwards. Mm-hmm. Like all the veterans I spoke to, like one thing that they really missed about the military was having a purpose. So I think you can find that purpose in a, a lot of different ways. Yeah, that may be through the energy field or the urban agriculture or horticulture or even other like nonprofits. A lot of veterans mm-hmm. go into like nonprofit work mm-hmm. um, that, 
that I interviewed for my for my project, you know, thesis. So, um, yeah, I think the, the important thing is finding the purpose, and that really helps with PTSD or other uh, trauma to help um, build a community after your service. And it just flew out of my head. Had a question here. <laughs> well, I was going to mention I was uh, reading on some of the material from Illinois Green Veterans Program that you've got the four pillars of green vets, and that mm-hmm. was one of them, the trauma resolution through green building, um, but also reintegration, sustainability training, and veteran-oriented service projects. Mm-hmm. And one of the side stories that I had uh, been reading to prepare for the show was saying how so many of the jobs for vets coming back seem to just be blue-collar, and it was interesting how the green programs are are bringing more electrical engineering and a lot of the other engineering and highly skilled projects for vets as opposed mm-hmm. to strictly blue collar. Yeah, I, w- I would say that's, yeah, it's definitely true. You need a, a wide uh, spectrum of jobs for veterans because there's definitely um, veterans with like bachelor's degrees mm-hmm. and, and veterans that can bring a lot of, um, a lot of skills that people don't realize. Yeah. Initially, I think, I think sometimes like a, a lot of pushes for veteran jobs, like, you know, uh, yeah, they can oh, just have a job, just you know, like unskilled. But a lot of right. veterans do do have a lot of skills and from their different um, from their different jobs. Because like in in the military, you have a plethora of jobs. You have yeah. like engineering jobs. You have like I'm, like I'm a paralegal in the in the military. So you have all different kinds of mm-hmm. um, of work in the military that people can bring to the civilian world. Do you plan to pursue the paralegal uh, in civilian life? Um. Actually, I'm planning more more environmental education. That's that's, okay. that's my plan. <laughs> All right, no, and that's why you're doing this, obviously. That's yeah. why I'm I'm more into I'm more interested in workforce development and yeah. environmental education. That's I, I just actually um, applied for the Peace Corps, and so I have my okay. interview on um, Wow 28th October. So and that's yeah. doing environmental education. So that's that's why I want to pursue more. That the the um, I've always you know I've enjoyed my work with the JAG Corps in the military and being a paralegal in the military. Mm-hmm. But right. yeah, I. I yeah want to do more environmental education personally. So. so as you're getting the Illinois Green Veterans started with this program on Tuesday, mm-hmm. um, what are the next steps? Where do you see this going in the next few months? Well, when I did my um, my my master's degree project, I know two things that would really help veterans transition into uh, into careers is educating veterans on what's out there, what's mm-hmm. out there like currently, educating them on like their benefits and what programs there are on out there and then um also getting uh specific programming for veterans Uh, like for example uh, the chicago botanical gardens they already have a veteran internship um that they like i think like five to ten veterans they um train every year on either horticulture Mm -hmm. or environmental education or like their collections fields so getting more specific programs like that i think would be good to try to expand that and then educating veterans what's already out there would be our two main goals and then we also mission continues already is doing um uh, projects with uh local community gardens to help that and give like you know provide training for veterans and local community members with that so those would be our our next steps so i'm looking at your illinois green veterans program uh, information and and what you have here is uh, four pillars uh, of green vets uh, reintegration uh, empower veterans to use the skills gained through military service to help sustain the very nation they fought for by collaborating with civilian and veteran alike on green initiatives sustainability training uh, provide practical green education veterans can utilize to gain experience and confidence that they will be valuable to prospective employers 
veteran-oriented service projects connect with partner organizations to collaborate on community projects utilizing their military training and trauma resolution through green building, implement design strategies focused on human health and well-being to simultaneously affect mental well-being of the spaces we are trying to enhance. Um, that's that's a pretty ambitious agenda there. Um, and uh, But I think, uh, obviously, this is something that's needed. Do you think veterans have uh, more or less difficulty finding work when they get out of the service? Well, I mean, I think it it definitely uh, it depends. Like when I, when I did my um, my research, you know, it depends on on the veteran. You know, veterans who have um, PTSD and, and combat and trauma related experiences um, uh, statistically have a higher harder time getting you know work. So it depends. Like if you have a good support um, and, and community, like when you return, that'll make it easier transition. Um, if you do already have a college degree, that makes it easier transition. But if you do have like trauma. Or if you're diagnosed with PTSD, that doesn't make it uh, difficult. So I think it depends on the veteran. Um, but yeah, the, you know, I think there could be ways to make it a lot, a lot easier. Especially like you know, if uh, like when you transition to, to to have veterans like know about all these different opportunities and all these different um, uh, opportunities in the clean energy field. Mm-hmm. You you want ways to make it easier? Uh, what else? I mean, what what pops into your head when you say? It- how can employers here help veterans find work and opportunities for careers? In the green sector, especially. I think if you have a, a designated uh, point of contact at companies and the veterans really, and they really want to specifically hire veterans, like for example, a lot of companies, they'll say, oh, we want to hire veterans. And it's just, um, nice, just like, nice like in talk. general, like yeah. in general, like in general, they don't have like specific like, OK, we're going to hire like 10 veterans or 15 veterans. It's just something that they yeah, it's just something that, that that's said, like, OK, we just want to hire you know, we just want to hire veterans in general. But they as, as they accept applications, they're treated as like any other application. So that isn't really. But if you have like a you have if you have special initiatives or special training programs, mm-hmm. like we want to train we want to train like 15 veterans or we want to hire specifically like 15 veterans. I think that's the, the designated point of contact or designated programs is the best way to actually um, help veterans specifically. And I think also in, in, in when you go through a transition process, um, it, most active duty members, they go through a transition process and to also like ha- provide that information there as well. Like these are employers that are willing to specifically hire veterans and these are specific training programs um, that will hire veterans. So I think that's one way that could help. Is that? Yeah, okay. no, no. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> so, it's, it's, so it sounds like you have some very specific ideas about okay. how you you want to help veterans, but you also have advice for the people who would be hiring veterans. And, and here's how you need to make it specific so that you can bring these folks uh, into your organization. And, and it sounds like in some cases it's not as specific as it could be right now. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're we have contacted different partners, and I hope to contact them more and to try to expand upon uh, programs that they already have for veterans. 
Um, and in our in our, in our event, we're also looking uh, at veterans that are already in the field and for them to speak at, at our event at the mm-hmm. uh, Clean Energy Jobs Act. So, yeah, we, we are looking to, to partner with those people and to expand. Well, the event is Green Veterans Listen, Lead, Share, a conversation about clean energy partnership. Uh, with Illinois Green Veterans, Illinois Green Alliance, and the Clean Jobs Coalition at the American Legion Tatler Post, 4355 Northwestern Chicago, uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. on Tuesday. Thank you so much, Sergeant Jessica Kling, for coming in. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Time to kill the vampires and phantoms. No garlic or wooden steaks necessary. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Energy generation or power plants are one of the largest sources of pollution contributing to climate change. 5 to 20 percent of our home electric bill comes from vampire or phantom energy use. Most of our electronics remain on standby even if they're off. Anything that has a little light on somewhere, like a charger, is still sucking up energy. Cable boxes are among the worst offenders. There are some smart strips that help by allowing you to turn things on and off on a timer The U.S. Department of Energy offers some tools to help you get to know more about your energy use. I'm Green Diva Meg. Find more useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed away down the highway? Zero to 60 in under three seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2019 Tesla Model X, the award-winning all-electric SUV. But you need to get your tickets soon because only 2,500 will be sold. So how do you win? Go to store.illinoisolar.org. That's store.illinoisolar.org. Buy one raffle ticket for $100 or the four-pack for $300. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. The winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 5th, 2019. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible to win, and you don't even need to be present at the drawing to claim your prize. So get your tickets, the rules, and all the other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. Still out there, the new horizon still headed out to the edge of the solar system. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, lots of things going on this week. Uh, as we mentioned on Tuesday, we're going to be at the Impact Conference all day for the uh, Illinois Landscape Contractors Association. But then on Thursday, uh, there's a celebration of Midwest Grows Green. We've had them on the show before, and uh, they're having their four-year anniversary celebration, and it's going to be at Patagonia, Chicago, in Lincoln Park, 1800 North Clyburn Avenue. So what's going to happen there is there's going to be uh, a panel uh, talking about uh, natural lawn care, if you prefer organic lawn care, um, and I'm going to be part of this. Um, and it's going to feature Chip Osborne, who I haven't talked to in a long time, but he's he's kind of a guru about this. He is uh, from an outfit called Osborne Organics, and he's been doing this a long time, and 
and I've had him on the show, but not for a number of years. Um, and I'm really excited to be able to to talk to him and other folks on the panel. Um, and we will discuss natural lawn care, but here's the best part. All right. There's going to be beer. Just letting you know, folks, it's beer. And it's from Revolution Brewing. Um, and there's going to be wine, snacks, raffle prizes, uh, and the event. This is also what you should know. It's free. Uh, so, free beer. Uh, October 24th, Thursday, from 5 to 7 p.m., 1800 North Clybourne Avenue. Now, uh, we talked about Midwest Grows Green. Um, uh, Ryan Anderson has been on the show uh, several times. He's with Midwest Grows Green, and he uh, he comes on, and we, and we talk about how, how to be smarter about your, your lawn and the stuff you're doing to it. Now, we're, we're kind of past the point where we're rapidly getting past the point where you can do much except wait for next year. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, you know, I suppose you could, you could core aerate at this point. Uh, you know, it's not, it, yeah. it's not in the textbooks. Just but, too late to be seeding a new lawn though. Uh, yeah. Cause that, that, that's not going to take at this point. Uh, but we, there are a lot of, uh, organizations that support the, uh, Midwest grows green organization. One of them is the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. Uh, and we happen to have uh, one of the board members on the line right now, Benjamin Crumstock. Um, he is also president of Composting Partners. Benjamin, good morning. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, my pleasure. Glad to have you here. Thanks so, for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition. Okay, so the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition is a uh, an organization charged in, with the mission of diverting food scraps from our landfills, getting those organics uh, out of the landfills, getting them composted in the Illinois context, um, and preventing all the greenhouse gas generation, and uh, additionally, developing compost materials which are of benefit. The uh, multi-stakeholder organization, all-volunteer uh, government agencies, uh, quasi-government agencies, uh, private companies, and just generally interested private citizens who are all part of this endeavor. I remember when uh, the Illinois Food Scrap uh, Coalition was coming together a few years ago, and it's the kind of thing where you think, well, wh why, why do we need this? Uh, don't doesn't everybody <laughs> do do this already? Aren't aren't people smart? Aren't they putting their their food scraps uh, into compost and and creating soil that can be uh, used to benefit uh, their lawns and gardens? But uh, that's not necessarily the case, is it, Benjamin? Oh, unfortunately not. Um, I was just I just listened in on a webinar last week, and somebody from the U.S. EPA shared the the mm -hmm. latest number, and that's that twenty two percent of our landfill uh, material from uh, Metropolitan Solid Waste, or MSW, actually is food organics. Uh, it's a national wow. statistic. It's not an Illinois statistic, but Illinois is not a, a big composting state. We can't claim to be Colorado or California or Washington State. Well, we, we didn't even uh, match up with our nearby states in terms of composting, and, and we just started changing those laws a, a, a couple of short years ago. Um, and so we've, we, we're playing a little bit of catch-up here, no, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> sure. in, in Illinois, aren't we, Benjamin? Absolutely. 
so um, and I'll tell you, it's 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 uh, it's a growing trend, and it's it's one of these examples of a good grassroots endeavor where people are asking, people are interested, and and that's really what's driving it, not mm-hmm. not any sort of government action. And you have a, your own company, uh, which is Composting Partners. Now, what's that all about? Right. So that that's actually in startup. That's going to be targeting um, food scraps in particular. It's aerobic in-vessel uh, food scrap composting. So when people think of in-vessel, they typically think of the anaerobic digestion uh, and uh, gas generation process. Uh, that's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a product where we'll, we'll, we'll take the food scraps uh, and uh, generate compost for, for use. Um, that's, in, that's still in startup. And um, as in parallel with that is consulting to be able to help potential compost users uh, develop projects. You know, if it's a park district, let's help, you know, connect them with the composters. Let's help them build the project, design the project, uh, figure out how to lay compost down in their parks so that they can derive the benefits and we can create uh, an outlet for the, the compost that generators are, 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 are producing today and ben- can't get rid of yet. Benjamin, can you explain what in-vessel means? So, right. So the typical process of, of composting that I think most people are familiar with, if they are familiar with composting at all, is, is open windrow. Uh, large piles, uh, they're turned to maintain an aerobic or oxygen infused environment Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's done at a commercial scale very large scale takes a lot of land Um, in the illinois context it's typically in a more rural environment if it's uh, in the city we have a we have a compost manufacturer in the city uh, of chicago proper Uh, it's in a more remote location uh, not not close to residential folks Um, that's that's the typical windrow process Um, Aerobic in-vessel is a different model. Essentially, I would tell people, you know, it's not a product I'm going to be building myself and designing myself, but there are numerous products out there you know, that you can use. I always tell people to think of it as a, um, a, rail, a rail car, uh, a tanker car mm-hmm. uh, with a little box around it. You feed in the organics at one end, and after, um, depending upon the, the particular system, after a month, after two months, uh, out comes a finished compost product. In the meantime, the biology of composting is happening. Uh, the the drum is rotating to maintain aerobic conditions. And um, this is a model that I think we can embed within communities in urban and in suburban uh, locations so that we can basically address our, our waste product and convert it into a good, rich nutrient for the soil um, in place where process it where we generate the, the waste. That makes sense. Now, part of the problem, from what I understand, and I don't want to get too much into the weeds, uh, again, no pun intended, uh, about this, is when you use food scraps, most of that is what we call green material, right, which is the nitrogen-rich material. You need to augment it with the brown material, the the stalks and the leaves and the stems and that sort of thing. Is, is that right, Benjamin? Absolutely. And depending upon you know which which particular model you look at internationally, um, you know some some folks who are doing the uh, aerobic in vessel composting are are getting wood chips from let's say wood mills and the like or or, or 
or uh, other uh, byproducts of, of manufacturing, and that's their brown. That's their that's their carbon material. Um, sh- uh, the shredded or, or chipped up uh, tree trunks, etc. That's a great uh, material for for uh, getting the recipe right when you when you generate compost. And that's the same whether it's a aerobic investor or whether it's windrow. The difference is that the windrows that we're talking about are principally dealing with landscape, which includes the browns. Right. And and that, and that is one of the inherent problems in doing food scrap composting is that you have to bring in the carbon-rich mm-hmm. material at some point because uh, it, it needs to be mixed in there. All right. So that takes us to uh, the event on Thursday. You're a composting guy. I can see the connection between what you're doing and what Midwest Grows Green is doing. But, you know, you're talking about composting food scraps. They're talking about safer lawns uh, and gardens. Uh, And the connection, I assume, is compost. Right, Benjamin? Absolutely. Uh, The the integrated pest management practices uh, that that MGG teaches and even – even other parameters such as increased turf uh, and playing field safety, you know, a softer, a softer ground as opposed to a compacted ground, these are all areas where compost has a role to play within the overall system. Uh, you know, it, the, the biggest challenge that the Illinois composters face is actually outlet. We want more people to use the compost, understand the, the very significant benefits of compost, uh, Midwest Grows Green gives us an opportunity to get in front of an audience that, that either knows already or is learning uh, the different ways that the compost can help. So, you know, the compost has biological benefits. It has chemical benefits, and it actually has physical benefits that are, uh, it, it renders when you add it to soil. Uh, so it's a great opportunity for you to improve soil health, and once you improve soil health, the either the need for supplements such as herbicides or pesticides, or the quantity of supplements, again, pesticides, herbicides, fertilizers, can be decreased, and that that just adds overall community health. Yeah, and as as Peggy and I like to say on the show, it's the biology, stupid. Um, because that's where it, uh, it all leads. Well, uh, Benjamin, I will see you on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Let folks know that uh, this will be at Patagonia in Lincoln Park, 1800 North Clyburn Avenue. Uh, from 5 to 6, you guys will be talking to the folks. From 6 to 7, we'll have that panel discussion with Chip Osborne of Osborne Organics. Thank you for partnering with Midwest Grows Green. Thank you for being on the show today, and I'm looking forward to uh, meeting you in person. That sounds great. Uh, Appreciate the opportunity. And if folks want to learn more about the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition, please visit us at IllinoisCompost.org. Soil and plant health don't stop at harvest. Now is the critical time to set up for next season. And the products to use are from Tinyo Biologicals. Whether you're working 500 square feet in your backyard or a 1,000-acre farm, the soil needs are the same. Feed those plants with spectrum and NutraNeed to get your soil ready for spring. The soil can make compost from field debris, so use Biodigester as well. Tinyo products from Blazing Star. Go to blazing-star.com. 
If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contractor. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at restorethenorthshore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. There are only a few weeks left to get to Rich's Fox Willow Pines in Woodstock and grab some rare and unique conifers before they go out of business. After 31 years, they're closing their doors at the end of this month, and plants that were 30 and 40% off are now 50% off the retail prices. This applies to container, B&B, and in-ground stock. The discount does not apply to any existing orders. Pines, spruces, firs, hemlocks, junipers, yews, and the deciduous larches, bald cypresses, and dawn redwoods are still available. So come out now to pick out your container or B&B trees. Call 815-338-7442 to schedule a time to tour the grounds to look for specimen trees. That's 815-338-7442. Don't miss this great opportunity to add some unique trees to your landscape projects. Go to richesfoxwillowpines.com for more information. Follow them on Facebook for updates. Again, that's richesfoxwillowpines.com. listening to here oh come on you got to know this no oh come on some you, you don't know that all right all right that's the uh, bullwinkle show oh theme. okay all wouldn't, right wouldn't have caught it from that but... rocky and bull oh really okay all right uh meanwhile yeah meanwhile so last sunday we were talking with melinda meyer about getting the uh bulbs in yep getting our flower bulbs in well garlic's also planted in the fall just like flower bulbs Yep. Except this And bulb. I always miss it. I yeah. always miss it. The That's garlic? Why the garlic or the flowers? The, the garlic. You know, the, the bulb time planting for garlic in the fall. I always miss that window, which is why I'm very excited yeah. about this. Yeah. Um, it's uh, Garlic is the most delicious treat the following summer. And Peterson Garden Project garden educator Michael Mutolo is going to teach you everything you need to know about this tasty bulb. From how to plant it, and just as important, when to plant. This is going to be at City Grange next Saturday, October 26th, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. And City Grange has a variety of heirloom seed garlic for purchase, so you can get started immediately right after attending the event. Um, You can RSVP on their website, citygrange.com. City Grange is located at 5500 Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. There's always valet parking on weekend. Citygrange.com. Learn. Shop. Blossom. And... Get the garlic in the get ground. The garlic. This is what I always forget because then I get to the spring. I go, oh, I meant to get that garlic. I, I have a little bit of garlic at home. I have to remember to plant it. Uh, so um, I'll get. The, I got my walking onions in, but I didn't get Yay. the garlic. Yeah. Uh, let's go to our meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Good morning, Rick. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Good morning, Mike and Peg. Mike, is it me or is, is the um, Rocky and Bullwinkle? Uh, tune there is, is that like the Dick Van Dyke show at Speed 78? <laughs> Could be, yeah. It's, Maybe it's, you just cracked the code right there. They just play it really fast. Uh, that's that's it, it, it seems that way, right? You, you slow it down, it goes, and you can kind of like picture him like tripping over the ottoman there, right? Exactly. Now, I have to ask you, did you know what that theme was? Oh, yeah, of course. 
Right. You know me what I do when I you know what I do in my spare time. Um and this is not to You have you spare know, time? Put, you know, a little Yeah, I have spare time. I I have you wouldn't believe what I do with my spare time, believe it or not. I look up and I, I actually scan YouTube for old clips of my favorite cartoons and then I share them with my brother. No, seriously. We were, we were just actually playing back um, Felix Cat. Remember that? Felix Cat. And then also um, Minute Mouse. Remember Minute Mouse? Felix Cat and Minute Mouse? Then, 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 then. No, it was Courageous Cat. Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse. And then you had Felix the Cat, mm-hmm. who was uh, the guy with the magic bag. You know that, right? There you go. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've got them all You'll here. So much your size will like. There you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Your heart will go pitter pat, which means you're having a grabber yeah. while you're watching Felix the Cat. Okay. Right, right. And then, and then you had Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse with. Uh, oh my God, I, I love all that stuff. Anyway, and, and Ellie so yeah, and Andrew are just I, kind of tilting their head, going, "Huh? Wow, good." That's all right. I, I have, believe it or not, I don't forget. I have students that. That age group I talk to all the time, and they look at me and they go, okay, now where are you going with this DeMaio? And I have to, like, bring it back down to earth. Uh, but that's why I love teaching, because it enables me to be a goof sometimes and then get back to science. So people see, you know, the real side of me pretty much all the time. I'm, I am who I am. I'm, I'm not... I'm not cutting corners there. No, no, that no. was Popeye's uh, line. I am what I am. I'll show that. Show that. All right. Let's see. I think we've wasted two minutes so far. Right? We have. So we better get to weather here. And uh, you, you sent well, us uh, a headline uh, on a, a subject line that yeah. said maybe snow by next week. And I said no, please do no. not do. That. We got garlic well, to plant. Do you guys remember um, what happened this weekend last year? No. I see. So you know, Tag. Do you remember? We've probably blocked it out of our heads. No, it was it was that wicked snow event that we had on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, we had this upper low come through. We had like literally thunder snow with grapple. We had oh, like yeah, the grapple. 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 Right. Yep. Yeah, you remember that? See, grapple will always make you go. Yeah, I think I remember something yeah. with grapple. Yeah, I remember um, that. But we had like we had like one to two inches of snow uh, up across northern sections of Illinois. That was mm-hmm. that was the event, Mike. If you remember. Wisconsin was playing in Camp Randall, and it was snowing during the football game, if you remember that. I do remember that, yeah. yes. I remember I was out in the yeah. air trying to plant something with this coming down. I think I even wrote you, now that you, you bring it up. Yeah, yeah. And, and the reason why I bring that up is people were saying, is this a sign of things to occur? And I typically say in the middle of October, well, it's kind of a little early. But once you get into the second half of October, and you start to get into these shots of cold weather and very dynamic patterns, it typically is a sign of things to come. And if you remember, last year, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, what did we have? Drum roll, please. We had a blizzard. Oh, okay. Really bad with Ew. your memories. I got to let those, I got to soak some, some like, interest <laughs> in, like, past weather. But, yeah, what? that was when we had the blizzard. We had nearly 12 to 15 inches of snow across northern Illinois. Yeah. We had rain and snow across much of the eastern side of the city and basically downtown Chicago was all rain. So the reason why I bring this up is the pattern has become very, very dynamic. A lot of shots of cold air, a lot of shots of warm air. We had a beautiful day yesterday, made it up to 68 at O'Hare. Today, I think, is actually going to be nicer 
only because we wanted the cloud cover in the afternoon. But yeah. even though it started out kind of cloudy with a little bit of fog and some haze and temperatures in the mid to upper 30s, it's beautiful. You take a walk outside. By the way, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm walking. Um, it is about as good as it gets. And the reason why I say this is this may be the last day, today and tomorrow, where we'll see temperatures in the 60s. Because the pattern by this time next week, we'll be talking about overnight lows in the 30s and afternoon highs only in the low to mid 40s, guys. Ooh, I'm going to have to take some plants indoors. I, I've been I've been leaving them out there. I knew it. I could get away with it for now, but now it's. I think yeah, I'm going to have to get a few more to bring in. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. By by this time next week, we'll be talking about overnight lows without a doubt during the week, most likely in the 20s. Um, and this is just the beginning. It definitely looks like the first week of November looks to be very very chilly, and then the pattern almost looks winter like. Uh, through the first half of the month. So I always tell people you, you almost have to wait until about the middle of October before the signals kind of begin to align themselves. Yeah. And you almost have to think of the middle of October as almost like the middle of May. Uh, very changeable month. You can have very warm weather um, early. You can have very cold weather late, just like May. You can have very cold weather early and very warm weather late. And that's one of the reasons why NOAA, which is what this whole conversation is about, when they issued their winter outlook over the weekend, or I should say on Friday, they pretty much went with the current signals, and they kind of take that out for about a month or two, as long as the tropics don't get too active. And it looks like the tropics are definitely beginning to somewhat quiet down if we had tropical storm Nestor move through the northern Gulf. And that usually indicates that the pattern is going to stay this way for about two months. So again, so if your listeners are kind of trying to figure out where we're going with this, basically cooler than normal temperatures, uh, across the upper Midwest, wetter than normal as well, mainly due to the fact that the Gulf of Mexico is still wide open. And I'm thinking we could have a fairly cold and snowy November around here, and that may actually lead into early December as well. And I'm only going that far, because once we get past the middle of December, who knows how things could change. <laughs> We've seen that more and more, Mike, and take these highly variable conditions that go through the end of, of the of the winter season. It's really tough to nail it down with one or two words. Uh, all right. Well, it sounds like uh, we better uh, buckle up for the uh, the next month or so. Uh, Rick, thank you so much. Great having you on the show. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, guys. Uh, I want to thank everybody. Whoop, there he goes. Thank you, everybody, who's on the show today. Of course, Scott Jameson from Bartlett Tree Experts. Go to Bartlett.com. Uh, Sergeant Jessica Kling uh, from the Illinois Green Veterans. Uh, Benjamin Crumstock from the Illinois Food Scrap Coalition, Ellie, Andrew. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. What a jerk. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.